Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the September 10th episode. We are in 1 Samuel, 1 Corinthians, and still in Ezekiel. Is that right? Second Samuel. We move into Second Samuel. Oh, yes. Thank you. We started in 1 Samuel 28. Okay. Oh, in 1 Samuel? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what's happening around here. Yeah, go for it. In 30, there's battle. There's battle happening. There's a lot of fighting. Okay. So this is when David's wives are taken prisoner and tons of the other. Yes. People are also taken prisoner and people are mad at David. Mm -hmm. Um, And they think about stoning David. Like they're so mad at him that they want to kill him over this. And in verse six, it says, David strengthened himself with his trust, with trust in his God. And he gets Mm -hmm. the priest, he brings the ephod so that he can consult God. And that just stuck out to me. Like, talk about crisis. He was was in the midst of as much crisis as he probably could be in the middle of, like we're talking war and we're talking his own people also wanting to kill him. Yeah. And instead of just running off and being like, I can make this better. Yes. That's a really good point. Like that, cause that's what any of us would do is just be like, I'll fix this and go after them. Yeah. So that makes me think of, hold on, let me see if I can find it. Um, I think it's in first Corinthians 10 this week. Yeah. Okay. So we, we can talk more about this because this whole section I have like, like most of it underlined, but in first Corinthians 10 verses 11 and 12, um, he goes at the, in 10, he's kind of like going over Israel's history and, and it's like totally warning for believers to not fall into the same distractions as the Israelites did. And he kind of goes back over like how God walked with them and fed them manna and gave them water and all of this stuff. So it's beautiful, but it's also warning for believers Mm. to not fall into that thing. But he says, Paul says um, in the warning section, he's reminding the Corinthians that they can, they could fall into the same traps as the Israelites did. And he says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Mm. And it just made me think, I read that after I read David, that was totally David. David had no faith in his own ability. Yeah. Even though he was so capable, like we've talked about how incredible David was, but he was incredible because of his confidence in God. Like that's, that was what defined him. Yes. I feel like this, this year I'm kind of reading David though, with a little bit more, um, what's the word? Realism. Yeah. Yeah. Cynicism. Like I, 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 like I, I have a filter of like, I know what's coming. So I'm not like getting super excited about him, (laughs) which is sad because this is incredible. Like all of this whole part of his story is exactly 
the image of the ser- of servant of God, like that we, mm-hmm. we desire to be. He is a perfect picture of talk about a man after God's own heart. Like mm-hmm. this, this is it. This is the part where we get to see him be mm-hmm. the way he was meant to be and do. I think the end of first Samuel uh, 30, maybe it's the middle toward, this is where I was laughing. It says, uh, so he goes and he takes all these people back mm-hmm. um, and he captures, he captures them. And he takes back all of the Amalekites things. They kill them completely. They bring their livestock their own livestock back, their own people back. And, but then they also take all of their stuff. And when David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him and had been left at the Wadi Basor, they came out to meet him and to meet the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. I love that. He greeted them, but all the corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued. I love that, that like the guy, there are people that went with David to war they went and they served, but their hearts were actually corrupt mm-hmm. and worthless. And I love that corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued because they didn't go with us. We will not give any of the plunder we recovered to them, except for each man's wife and children. They may take them and go. But David said, my brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed us over to the raiders who handed to us, the raiders who came against us, who can agree to your proposal. The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally, which totally made me think of, go ahead. You know, well, it makes me think of something, but I wonder what it makes you think of the manna, like that idea that like, no matter, oh, okay. like no matter who goes out and gathers, whether you have the energy and ability to gather a lot, or you have the energy and ability to gather a little, like no matter what, if it's God's, if it came from God, mm-hmm. everybody gets the same amount. There's no more or no less for anybody, which made me think of a conversation I just recently had or not. It was actually a text message came in from a friend of mine she goes, uh, she sent a text and she was like, I will never know as much of the Bible as you do, but I'm so excited to be like learning beside you or something like that. And I was like, you actually know exactly as much as I do, because the only amount that any of us know is what the Holy spirit teaches us. So, you know, exactly as much as the Holy spirit has taught you. And I know exactly as much as the Holy spirit has taught me, which is the exact same amount. Like there's no, you don't know less and I don't know more. It's the craziest thing. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. that idea. Just that in the idea that it's enough for the moment. Yeah. You can't plunder. Yeah. You can't take more or less of what's God's to begin with. Like it's just, yeah. that's my portion is my portion, which turns out to actually in the uh, eternal scope of things be as much as anybody else's. It's the coolest thing. Mind bending. Mind bending. Yeah. So what it made me think of was Paul in first Corinthians this week, when he talks about, um, the body and how one member is not more important than the other member. And that we are all given when he's talking about gifts, everyone's given their gifts. And that's what it made me think of because he talks about like the one who fights and the one who stays home with the gear is just as important. Like you can't, yes, you can't make one better or more important than the other because it's all necessary and it yes. all works together. Yes. Yeah. That's so good. What a perfect applicant. Yes, absolutely. Same thing. Like just in with God's eternal stuff, you can't measure it. Com- one, you can't compare one to the other. It's just not how that works. Yeah. yeah. Which is a good lesson. It kind of comes into that whole, I mean, it feeds into David and Goliath or to David and Goliath, like just be, like the shepherd boy and his, 
his sling is not less than the warrior with his armor and all of the things that go into battle. Like it's they're used right. for God. God doesn't play it the same way. Yeah. No, yeah. No matter what we do, when we're doing what God has called us to do, it's nobody's doing more and nobody's doing less. So cool. Hi, this is Erin, and I'm glad that you're studying scripture with us here on the recap. I wanted to let you know that while we take a break from dive studies in August, we are studying the parenting study that I wrote in May over on the network. Please come join us for that. You'll get the parenting study for free with an all access pass, or you can purchase the study in the shop at divecollective.org. But you can come join us on the network for discussion at www.members.divecollective.org. Our Dive Genesis study will begin again in September with our study on Joseph. If you haven't joined us yet, we've been studying the book of Genesis in depth this year, starting with creation of Noah, then Abraham, and we just finished Jacob in July. You can catch those studies for free via podcast with a free community membership over on the network as well. I highly encourage you to join a live study though, through an all access pass. Those studies are far richer than you can imagine as your brothers and sisters bring their takeaways to the group each week. I can't wait to see you over in the network very soon. Now let's get back to the recap. There's way more probably from all of us, but should we move on? We should move on. Probably. I, um, did you notice the, I have so many, yeah, I don't have a ton more from second Samuel, but did you notice the two different stories about the death of Saul between first Samuel 31 and second Samuel one? I feel like I remember noticing it last year and I really want to dig in because in first Samuel 31, Saul asks, his armor, his armor bearer to kill him and he refuses. And so fall, Saul falls on his own sword. Right. And then the armor bearer also does. And then people come and they cut off his head and stuff like that. Well, then in second Samuel, this guy shows up and tells uh, David that he killed him. And David is like, oh, you killed God's anointed. Okay. You're done. And I kept waiting for like more information to figure out how those two line up, but we don't get it. So so I'm really, I want to do some, it's just like a historical, like I want to do some historical kind of digging and see. So you're kind of wondering whether maybe he, like part of the story was that he was lying to get credit for something and it ended up backfiring on him. That's what I was wondering. I I mean, that's like, that's honestly like all that comes to mind is that that would totally make sense was that he came back to bring that report thinking he had done this good thing. And it ended up, and David was like, because that happens later on in second Samuel, as we read Joash and Abner, like, yeah, there's so much back and forth. And David's like, why do you keep killing people? I'm it's, I'm not okay with this. Like you're doing this because you think it's going to make me happy, but you're taking matters into your own hands and you need to yes. That's exactly what I wrote in my margin. I was like, so much bloodshed. This must've just made David grieve so much to like, find be like, what this is, this is what my, this is what my kingdom is. It's just right. a bunch of people killing each other for honor and glory. Like what is going on? Right. What is wrong with you people? How do you not yeah. know? But I mean, that's exactly God is. How do you not know my heart? Like when it says it's a man after God's own heart, yes. like how do you, well, even that's the thing like David and in, I think it's chapter two or the end of chapter one, when David does his like a song or whatever, when he's mourning, he is mourning for Saul, like mm-hmm. genuinely mourning for Saul. And I think that's what, like all these people that are killing people for David and trying to help him out, they don't, they don't get, they don't know his heart at all. Yeah. David's not a normal, he does not respond normally, normally 
at all <laughs> because he's mourning for this man who spent his whole, he's been trying to kill David for his whole life. Yeah. And he's gone. You would think he would be relieved, but he's not. Of course, Jonathan is also gone, which is yeah. heartbreaking for David, but yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That's so good. All right. Ezekiel's- let's go to Ezekiel. Oh, you know, what popped up was I thought of you in this part where it says it actually a couple times, it's like the opposite of your favorite line from Ecclesiastes. Go eat your bread Did with you joy. see it? Yeah. No. Go eat your bread with joy in number. Oh, in- they'll eat that. They'll eat with mourning or something. Yeah, son of man, eat your bread with trembling and drink your water with anxious shaking. Hmm. I was like, that's interesting. That's late, right? That's like what 12 Ezekiel does as a, as a picture, right? Yeah. For- one of the things that God has him do. Yeah. Yeah. Then say to the people of the land, this is what the Lord God says about the residents of Jerusalem and the land of Israel. They will eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water and dread for their land will be stripped of everything in it because of the violence of all who live there. The inhabited cities will be destroyed and the land will become dreadful. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're actually, I don't know if we'll cover it in when we do Joseph, but as we're studying Joseph right now, that was one of the things that somebody brought up was that like possibly um, God taking Joseph into exile into Egypt would have been, who knows what would have happened if he had stayed. Do you mean that? Like it's that it could have been God's hand of protection. Right. Because Joseph is used to provide food for millions of for all these people, you know, for Egypt and Israel and. Right. But I think what they were saying was like, what was Joseph escape? Who knows how long, if he had stayed with his brothers, that they would have actually killed gotcha. him after okay. time or something terrible could have happened mm-hmm. to him. But like God's protection was to mm-hmm. send him in slavery over to Egypt. And I was like, well, that fits with what we're learning about Israel and how mm-hmm. like God actually took the remnant out of Israel mm-hmm. into exile. And that was his hand yeah. of protection. And that came up again this week in 12 and 13. Yeah. Um, I think it's in 13 where God straight up says, Oh no, it's in 11. I provided you temporary sanctuary in the countries where you've gone. Yeah. In the midst of all this destruction, like in 11, he's talking about all of the destruction on the judgment. So that, so that's another thing I noticed reading through Ezekiel this time it comes up at least a half a dozen times where God is saying, this is what's going to happen. And then you will know that I'm God. Like that's the so whole, that, yeah. yes. Like that's, God is doing this. Like there are so many things wrapped up in it. Like we've talked, he's keeping his promise because he mm. said that's what he would, that's what would happen when Israel turned away. But I wonder too, like how many, were there any that when they, when they realized he was God, that turned in repentance to him. You know what the I mean? The ones like, in, is in Jerusalem still? Yeah. I don't know. Like, oh, I know I don't, it's a question. It's the thing that we've talked about before. Yes. Like when it always makes me wonder, I mean, is there time when God pours out his wrath for repentance? I have no idea. That's not something I know the answer to, but it makes me wonder. Yeah. Um, but that he's doing this so that they will know that he's God. And he says in 11 that he, he gave them a temporary sanctuary in the countries where they've gone. So when they, when he, yes, them, that was temporary sanctuary from his 
wrath that's coming down on Jerusalem and then he'll bring his people back. Yes. So good. There was yeah. something I remember. Sorry, go ahead. No, just that I love that I have that whole section underlined. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts pursue their desire for abhorrent acts and detestable practices, I will bring their conduct down on their own heads. Mm-hmm. This is the declaration of the Lord. And that, again, it just makes me think like, this is what our faith, hope, and love is put in is that like God's just like God's justice will come and it will be good and perfect. And we don't have to worry about it. Like he's going to accomplish it all. And so we can trust him. And that's why the greatest of these is love. Like what we are called to do is to love and leave justice in his hands. Like, Mm -hmm. because he will do, he will do it all perfectly. And we have that hope and we wait for it. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, it makes, just makes me anxious for the last days, which September 7th just (laughs) happened. So it's not, it's not this year, Not this year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's coming next year. Oh, maybe next year. Um, oh boy, that's. I keep go. wondering what the trumpet's going to sound like. What is that trumpet going to sound like? Right, because was it First Corinthians that we read about the trumpet this week? Yes. yes. Let's go. Let's go to First Corinthians. There's a, a lot of stuff happens. First, First Corinthians is where we find the greatest of these: faith, hope, and love. Yes, we read that this week. Faith, yep. hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And I love that. That really has just sort of been, I feel like that's been this year's thing. As I see, as I look at scripture and I see things like where God is like, I will act and you are called to love. Like mm-hmm. I will act and you are called to love. And all through your loving is where is how I will act. And you can yes. Yeah. Where we start? Where did, what, we what started it? in nine. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh no. Maybe I didn't read far enough nine through what in 15 mm-hmm. oh good okay that's what i did all right nine. there was so much in first corinthians this week i felt like and i was reading it i read a lot of it this morning and i was reading thinking about about it being written to specific a specific audience and so i was reading it this time thinking about it being written to a specific audience but having total still being relevant and applicable to us today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's why I was like, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like right underlining everything. But yes, I think I'm going to, I said that to you. I know. I think I'm going to enjoy reading the new Testament this time around with a little bit of a different, different questions and different, like, yes. Yeah. The epistles, especially. Mm-hmm. Yes. Speaking of which, I don't necessarily think we should get into this for the podcast, but you need to go back. I almost texted you this morning and read the beginning of first Corinthians 11, where it talks about men and women in the message. It's very, it just was helpful for me to think through it. Almost every verse that talks about men and women in the epistles, Eugene Peterson handles exquisitely like yes I don't I need I'm curious I don't remember what it looked like in the message but it was hard in CSB yeah it is and well he's talking about marriage the beginning of 11 the authority is from Christ to the husband and from the husband to the wife so he talks all about that and so that is pretty like that was pretty much like 
okay, that's what I've always, like, it wasn't that different. But then he talks about these, like, when we talk about customs and head coverings and all of that, this is, if she, if a woman dishonors her husband, she dishonors herself, which is an ugly sight, like a woman, if her head was shaved, this is basically the origin of these customs. We've been wearing head coverings in worship while men take their hats off by these symbolic acts, men and women who far too often, butt heads with each other, submit their heads to the head God. Don't, by the way, read too much into the differences here between men and women. So this is Eugene, where I was like, wow, neither man nor woman can go it alone or complain or claim priority. Man was created first as a beautiful, shining reflection of God. That is true. But the head on a woman's body clearly outshines in beauty, the head of her head, her husband, the woman the first woman came from man, true, but ever since then, every man comes from a woman. And since virtually everything comes from God anyway, let's quit going through these who's first routines. <laughs> yes. Well, that's how I, that's, that ended up being like, cause as, as I was like struggling through it, like sludge, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? And I know that like head in this case, they're talking about as a source, like, head doesn't necessarily mean higher or because that would, that's where you mess up the Trinity, right? Because you can't say that God is that's higher the than Trinity Christ, right. right? But it's still hard. Like the way that he's kind of putting it in order and the, but what he's, what he does at the end is where it's like, oh, okay. What he's saying at the end, even in CSB, it's like, the point isn't that who's in charge and who's not in charge. The point is, is that in, in the eternal scope, when we look at things from God's perspective, there is neither, like neither one is better or not. It's all, it's like, it's like what we were just talking about with the manna and everything else. Like there is not like in God's scope, like there is not one is more or less than another. It's all equal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he continues that whole argument when he, when he talks about the body of Christ later on, a couple chapters later, it's like that same there's like a connection between the whole thing. I still, I mean, I feel like roles are totally different conversation and I'm still not sure where I am on all of that sometimes, but like, as far as equality, there's no question. There is no question. Yeah. I I mean, I also, I love his point, which is that like, no matter, like, even if you do think that roles are, are equal that like, I don't like, it doesn't, it's not, natural in my mind when I meet a stay-at-home dad that's like weird you know what you mean in my head it's still just weird mm-hmm. and I mean, we but, just had this conversation with Shiloh but like but it's beautiful in another in another sense too it's like beautiful so it's not one of those that, like it in this context it would fit in that like you're getting like you're getting your roles reversed and things are supposed to like women aren't supposed to have short hair and men aren't supposed to have long hair you're supposed to be embracing the diversity that God gave us as Mm -hmm. men and women. And so, but Paul all through his letters is all about like, not, um, about he's anti-legalism. Like he's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. His whole point is like, even when he sets up a standard, he's like, but then always be prepared to break the standard because nothing like, it's not always it's the, the whole point is like, follow the leading of the Holy spirit, go with the Holy spirit. And it's not always going to look like you expect it to look. And it's just weird. Like the epistles are so hard because at one point he's setting a standard. And at the next point he's, he's doing something different than what mm-hmm. he said, because it's because nothing, there are very few things that are black and white 
the way that we want them to be. Like mm-hmm. they just, it's circumstantial and being led by the spirit is exactly what he's desiring and calling us to do. And that often leads us to places we don't expect and are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Black and white doesn't make us uncomfortable. We'd rather just be comfortable in the black or the white. You know what I mean? Yeah. Paul's hard. But you're, that was a good, that I'm glad you brought up 11, chapter 11. It just, was, yeah, man, I wish I could. The diversity is beautiful. Sorry, go ahead. Right. And it just makes me think, like when I think about it in the context of the fact that he's writing to the Corinthian church and the specific issues that they were dealing with, mm-hmm. like he's heard about what's going on and he's like, this is what I'm going to address. Also at the end of chapter 11, he says, the other things that you guys asked about, I'm going to talk to you about in person. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want to know. I, <laughs> I want to know. But, yeah. but I, it makes me wonder, what would Paul say if he was writing to us? Like, what, mm-hmm. what are the issues? Yes. And I think in the sense that it would be, I mean, he kind of does in 1 Corinthians 13, wraps it up. He brings, he faith, hope, and love guys, faith, hope, and love. And so I think when you boil what he would, if he was to write a letter to us, it wouldn't be all of the same things. Oh, it would be about masks and bringing politics into the church. Oh yeah. It would be, yes, it would be. You're fighting over masks. You're dividing churches over masks. What is wrong with you people? Have you completely forgotten what the whole point of the gospel was, which is that faith, hope, and love. Exactly. But he would, that's what I was going to say. The issues would be completely different, Yeah, but it would boil down to the same things. Yes. Just like, like when you think you take Paul's words and then you take Jesus's words. So, okay. So these are the things I'm thinking of Paul in first Corinthians 13, when he boils it down to faith, faith, hope, and love. When in at was it's an ax when the, when the Jerusalem council, the whole mm-hmm. circumcision circumcision conversation and they're like okay there are three things that matter yes okay be careful not to get involved in activities connected with idols avoid serving food offensive to jewish christians blood for instance and guard the morality of sex and marriage those were the things that the jerusalem council boiled it down to and then that comes up later on in acts too like those three things and i think maybe in an epistle somewhere so those three things and then thinking about um, what Jesus said, the, f- the greatest commandment and the second love God, love yes. others. And, and there's more like, it can all be boiled first, down. It can all be boiled down. But so in first Corinthians 12, this was something that stuck out to me this week too. He's talking about the spirit and he, he's going into gifts and stuff like that. But he, in verse, I don't know, two or three, I don't know what this is Eugene's phrasing. Um, he's talking about not doing, not going from one God to the other, um, just because everyone else was doing it like they were before they became believers. Um, he says it's different in this life. God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. For instance, by using your heads, you know perfectly well that the spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say Jesus be damned, nor would anyone be inclined to say Jesus is master without the insight of the Holy Spirit. So just like when we take, like when we're looking at scripture, like we are both, we are guided by the Holy Spirit, which is like 
takes the cake. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing right I there. And we are intelligent human beings created in the image of God. And mm-hmm. he wants us to use our intelligence. Yeah. So like learning and studying, like we can say it boils down to these things. This is what it boils down to, but like use your brain use your brain and don't take our word for it either. Like if yes. go and study, one of the reasons you and I have been saying that lately is because we've been reading through the Bible. Like we didn't just come to that. It's like a, it's like a, it's been a process and yeah. we're not, there are guidelines set up in scripture and there are like, God does call us as believers to live differently than the world. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at even like faith, hope, and love can be a really good guideline for that, what that looks like, you know? And, and I think recognizing as Paul did that it's not necessarily going to look exactly the same for everyone. Some people were okay with eating meat sacrificed to idols and some people weren't. And, and, uh, and recognizing that that's the spirit's job in. Yes. One wasn't bad and one wasn't good. Like, I mean, literally in Galatians, he's like, circumcision is bad. If you get circumcised, then you have to live according to the whole law. If you're, if you're going to follow one part of the law, you have to live according to the whole, like he's like Galatians is all like circumcision is bad. And yet Timothy is circumcised. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but fully in his freedom and to be able to wrap your mind around how it's okay in one situation, not okay in another that requires the spirit. Like you can't understand. Well, and I think Paul's thing in Galatians is that circumcision is bad if you're doing it because you think you have to do it to be in Christ. Absolutely. Like, right. Yeah. And and it's not that Timothy was doing it in his freedom, laying down his freedom for the sake of that. I mean, I understand there's no question about when it's okay. And when it's not for somebody who's in the spirit and understands it, but for anybody who lives their life in black and white, and doesn't know that it requires mm-hmm. the Holy spirit to live this nuanced life of freedom and, mm-hmm. um, of freedom and love. Like, right. I was just going to say it's that's love. Like Timothy yes. was circumcised out of love Yes, for the people he was going to minister to. That's the yeah. only reason he did it. Yeah. yeah. Faith, hope, and love. That's the recap. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.